ages ago, maybe 2005, something like that. And this band, uh, the Blood Brothers, were on it. Oh, yeah, I know that. I remember them. They're awesome. Yeah, right? Um, I know, man. I like their band. I feel like I tried to be friends with those guys like time and time again. I was like, hey, man, great show. And, uh, you know, cold, like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, man, dude, like that one Phil, it reminds me of System of a Down. And he was like, oh, I can't stand the way that guy plays. And I was like, oh, I like him. And he goes, yeah, I can tell. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like my stomach <laughs> turned from like, you know, that <laughs> awful feeling of, oh, my God, this person doesn't like me. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Hello, everyone. You are tuned to another exciting episode of the MC Lars podcast. It is Monday, September 14th, 2020. We are back. And as many of you know, I took a hiatus in August, but I'm back regularly with the podcast, which this dope regular release schedule can attest to. Now, I know I'm not supposed to end sentences with prepositions, but that was just a proposition I had to make to y'all that we're going with it. This is uh, part two of three of my Weird Science interview. Weird Science, Josh Shepard, is the drummer of Coed in Cambria, a wonderful band. And uh, Josh and I crossed paths because, as you heard in the last podcast, we were mutual fans of each other. I loved his Weird Science project. And Horace Records, my label, signed him, put out Sick Kids, which was his second record. And it was a great learning experience because I was a fan of his. I still am. He's still like one of my favorite rappers of all time. But um, we ended up doing Warp Tour together. We went to England. We stayed friends. And so I was like, let's do a part two. But part two ended up being like two hours. So we're going to have part two this week, part three next week. And as always, this podcast is brought to you by the following Patreon Larsians. Shout out to the new ones who just signed up, Nathan, Adam, and Darren. And shout outs to the old ones, Christopher, Podtastic Man, and Alexis. And if you're looking for content to enjoy during quarantine, why not listen to my entire collection of songs about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes, I did a song about every single movie in chronological order of the MCU. Next week, or yeah, this coming week, I'm going to drop my Spider-Man Far From Home track, which is based on a loop from The Conscious Daughters, which is a Bay Area hip-hop group. Many of you from the Bay know their song, Funky Expedition, and that became the sample for this beat because, as y'all know, in Far From Home, Spider-Man goes on a funky expedition of his own. But I've already said too much. I can't reveal that. Also, speaking of releases, our son Atlas is releasing a lot of Dukes, and Ash and I did a parody of Wet Ass Blank. We did Wet Ass Poopies that our boy Theosin mixed. That's going to drop this week, so keep your eyes peeled for that on Spotify and everything. Schaefer and I put out a single last Friday, which was like a play on the um, WFMU uh, Tom Sharpling's best show where they have a fake Juggalo call in and talk about the gathering of the Juggalos from 2009. Anyway, it was very funny, and Schaefer and I listened to it a ton on our February tour, so we decided to do a quote-unquote cover of it. So life is good, lots of content, lots of flavor. Speaking of Atlas, from a few topics ago, we were talking about wet-ass poopies. Uh, Let's listen to this week's Letter to Atlas. This is from my boy Mike Russo, who's my guitarist and bass player. He's been on the podcast. I interviewed him, then he interviewed me on the MC Lars episode. And uh, anyway, he left this message to Atlas. Is he sleeping? Is he pooping? Just checking in. How's a little boy doing? These are some messages that you left. Wishing our little baby boy the best. Now it's time for Letters to Atlas. Please leave a message after the tone. Welcome to the world, little Atlas. You could not have asked to have been brought into it any better parents than Andrew and Ashley. They're going to teach you how to live and love and grow and explore this journey to be the very best that you can be. I mean, look, already you're getting your first English lesson in alliteration. Who knows where you'll go from here? I love you guys. Alice, I cannot wait to meet you. And I will hopefully see you all thanks mike atlas can't wait to meet you too if y'all want to call in and leave a message to our four month old son that will play him when he's older the phone number is 510-463-4237 that's 510-463-4237 and it will go to a voicemail my google voice and i'll play it on the podcast so yeah that's a lot of background what else oh i've been reading a great book it's called uh the Chronicles of Pradane, which some of you may know, Lloyd Alexander wrote this series. I got into it because the Black Cauldron 
the Disney movie is on Disney Plus, and it's a famous um, one of their unfortunate missteps. People cite it as a movie that didn't make its budget back. It was kind of got away from the original source material, but it was one of the first Disney movies to have CGI. It was one of the first PG-rated cartoons, and it's pretty dope, pretty spooky, but the Book of Three is the first in Lloyd Alexander's series, and I'm reading it, and it's dope. So I just wanted to shout out Lloyd Alexander, rest in peace, amazing science fiction fantasy author. More fantasy than science fiction, but uh, yeah, I've been enjoying that. So at night, I try to get off social media, try to put my phone away. It's actually really good for my well-being, and I hope some of you are, as we're in quarantine, aren't giving in to the whole matrix of hatred and rage and consumption and data monitoring and all this dystopian flavor as we <laughs> transition into the next decade. Read some Lloyd Alexander. He's tight. Okay, so this is my interview. That was a tangent, but I, I like to talk about what I've been up to during the week. This is my interview with Weird Science, part two of three. So I am back. This is part two with my man, Josh Eppert, a.k.a. Weird Science. And there was more to talk about. So we scheduled a second time to talk. And uh, y'all recorded a video recently, but you were going to tell me a story. And I wanted to make sure we got all this. So hello, Josh. Welcome back to the podcast. Oh, so good to be back. And uh, we were kind of before we hit record, I actually told Lars, I said, dude, you should record this. This is good. Um, we were talking about how Coheed is kind of perceived as like this ultra serious, uh, dare I say, pretentious, you know, really artsy band. But we have like any of the fans know we have a long history of doing like really silly shit, even going back to our uh, our first like big video, A Favor House Atlantic is like incredibly silly because what, that's what happens when you've got. Four guys that live in a van together, you start throwing around ideas. Hey, you know what would be funny? Hey, you know what would be funny? Uh, I mean, Lars, you get this where like art and lightheartedness like intersect. There can be like this really beautiful space. I mean, you know, signing emo was like it was funny, but it also had like it was such a great commentary about the music scene. But it ultimately, man, it was really funny. I think Coheed has had like those moments. I could point to the Favorite House Atlantic video. In 2015, we did a video for You Got Spirit Kid. This song, it was the single off a record called The Color Before the Sun. And the video is, well, we thought it was funny. I'm naked in the video and getting picked on in high school. The joke is that we're obviously way too old to be in high school, which we thought was funny. Um, but yeah, we've just, I always kind of, there's always, yes, there's a serious like part of the band and, you know, and we take it very serious, but there's always been like in the lineage, in the tapestry of Coheed, the Coheed quilt, if you will, some of those squares are definitely comedy influenced and have like an air of lightheartedness. But we are definitely like looked at as this ultra. There's a story, dude. And this is, I can't even believe I'm bringing this up. But so we did this tour ages ago, maybe 2005, something like that. And this band, uh, the Blood Brothers were on it. Oh, yeah. I know that. I remember them. They're awesome. Yeah. Right. Um, I know, man. I like their band. I feel like I tried to be friends with those guys like time and time again. And this, and admittedly, I'll acknowledge that a lot of this could have been my own hangups and my own feelings of like being ostracized or like not fitting in or whatever. But I always felt like I got like the cold shoulder from those guys. And then one day I was walking by and they, they were doing a funny, we had this guillotine. Um, that was behind us, this fake guillotine that would drop at the end of the show. And no one thought the guillotine was cornier than me. Like, I thought it was really cheesy, um, which I kind of liked. I don't know. I was like, oh, dude, it's fun. We're almost like toying with this Iron Maiden world of being like theatrical or whatever. Right. And a couple of the guys in Blood Brothers were like, hey, use the guillotine to cut my bagel. No big deal. But uh, to me, like, I, you got these guys that, like, kind of, like, are always, I felt like making fun of us and being, like, I don't know, kind of, like, cold to me, like, always. And then I brought it up to somebody. Now, I, this isn't good, and it's embarrassing to admit, but like, I was on a lot of drugs. This is 2005 and the pretty much the height 
of my addiction um, and the height of my addiction spread out over years. But 2005, it was as bad as it gets. I mean, I'm literally shooting heroin in the bathroom all day long, every day. And I'm a mess. I'm a junkie. And my life is completely going off the rails. So I don't know if like my perception of this is even reality based. Like it, I'll admit that happily. Um, I brought, and I brought it up to the tour manager. Like it hurt my feelings. You know, I was like sick of these dudes, like making fun of us. They're too cool for us. They always act like they're like the cool kids in school. And like, there was a meeting about like, uh, why we couldn't get along. But then only like last year, somebody from blood brothers tweeted about that incident. And they said, in 2005, we did a tour with that band Coed and Cambria, and we had to have a full-on meeting about us making fun of their guillotine. <laughs> Taking yourselves so seriously is bullshit. And then wow. some dudes from the Mars Volta were like, I can't stand that shit. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Nobody takes us like seriously like in the band. Like None of us take this like ultra-serious to it. It was never about the guillotine. I even wrote them back. I said, dude, I was on a lot of drugs. And to be honest, I just probably thought it was a good excuse to like try to be friends. Honestly, like that's really, or I, maybe I tweeted, I thought it was a good excuse to not talk to you guys, which is definitely different than what I just said. But wait, so did they, did they actually use the, uh, cut their bagel with it or they were just like being smart ass? No, it was a fucking plastic. You couldn't cut anything with it. It wasn't okay. a real guillotine. obviously. And uh, their merch guy was being funny. I didn't. You know what, dude? I, I, they were making fun of the guillotine, and I would have joined in the making fun of it. Like it was so cheesy to me. I never was like, "Hey, you guys can't make fun of our guillotine." It was like after weeks of trying to get along with. I remember talking to the drummer once, and I said, "I was like, hey, man, great show," and uh, you know, cold, like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, "Oh, man, dude, like that one Phil that reminds me of System of a Down," and he was like, "Oh." I can't stand the way that guy plays. And I was like, oh, I like him. And he goes, yeah, I can tell. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like my stomach turned from like, you know, that awful feeling of, oh my God, this person doesn't like me. That happened, dude. That interaction happened. And they were opening for y'all or was it a co-headlining? No, they were opening for us. It was, I think they were the first band on a three band bill. It was like them and Dredge. Oh my God. You want to be nice, be nicer than that. I mean, I don't know them, but that seems like, well, I know, man, it, and I like their band too, which is, it makes it hurt even worse. I always thought like that they put on a show that like I believed, and I loved that drummer. I think Mark was his name. Like I loved that drummer, but yeah, he wasn't like you know maybe as adults now we look back like maybe he remembers it like completely differently, and I'd be a hundred percent like willing to uh, hear his side of things. But I get it, man. They thought our band was corny. Do you think that's the first time another band thinks Coheed and Cambria is corny? That's fine. That's not a there's there's not a prerequisite to me being friends with you that you have to like the band I'm in. Absolutely not. Um, but the guys in Coheed can always laugh at themselves, and it's funny to see a tweet right. from some guys that toured with us like saying it's the exact opposite. And I do feel like we have this energy of like that we're like that, like we take it so serious and like up its own ass pretentious. But then we'll do funny, silly shit all the time. But that just never lands on that radar. We always get. I think it's just an easy narrative to absorb that like, oh yeah, we're pretentious prog guys when really we're like silly pop guys. Like that's kind of the world. We, we kind of dance between both worlds, but um, that blood brother story is funny, man. It was, it upset me at the time because I'm such a fan of at the drive-in and Mars Volta. And like one of the guys chimed in about how he hates when bands take themselves so seriously. And I wish that like there was a way that I could have said like, Hey, we, we don't, that guillotine thing was not really about the guillotine. It was about like, I wanted to be friends and it was like, they were never nice to us. That's on the honest to God truth. It sounds kind of pathetic, but, um, just kind of a funny story. I, it's about the last thing I thought we'd get into, uh, in the podcast, but it's just kind of a funny story. Is that the guillotine is the one that's on the cover of the album with like the angel wings. Was it like an, yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah. that's why we I brought it that. out on tour. And like, yeah. you know, a lot of that stuff I was uncomfortable with, you know, I wasn't, that was like a huge source of tension in Coheed back then. This was like my first tenure. No, I hadn't left the band yet. Mm. Um, I'd done a bunch of shit that they should have booted me out. I mean, I really put those guys through. Those guys, Blaze, the management, the label. I put them through a lot. And they put up with a lot, dude. I mean, shit, they really, they had no, they had, I didn't have any right to even be there anymore, dude, with the shit that I put them through. And I think it's a credit to our friendship and a credit to those guys' patience and 
and you know they wanted me in the band they didn't want me to leave the band and so you know i ended up taking advantage of that and putting them through a lot but it i wasn't really comfortable with the theatrical stuff and instead of like voicing that and landing on a spot through communication i just kind of kept it all in and was like deeply uncomfortable with it you know i thought it was corny i thought it was super duper corny um so then you can imagine my surprise when there's this story about I take that guillotine so serious. Uh, I had a meeting about it because you made fun of it. It was like, no, no one could think that thing's whacker than me. Like, I think that was the wackest thing I ever saw. But, you know, in hindsight, man, like Claude had a vision that if I had just expressed that to him, I, I bet he would have explained it to me in a way that I would have understood it. Because Claude has a long history of explaining things to me and like opening up my view. And I didn't really see it in the way he did. I didn't have like a broad enough. I wasn't thinking Iron Maiden. I wasn't thinking about those Alice Cooper in that world. You know, in my mind, I wanted to be fucking Pink Floyd or Led Zeppelin. Um, although here's Pink Floyd who literally had puppets build an entire wall in front of them when they played the wall tour. So, you know, that kind of theatrical element can exist. But at the time, I was like deeply uncomfortable with it where... Now I'm like, let's let's bring that guillotine back. I want more stuff like that because I think corny with a wink is cool in my eyes, which I think Coheed embodies a lot of that. Well, that's a that's a good transition because this episode I wanted to discuss on the last episode we talked about your older records. We talked about Sick Kids. We talked about Warp Tour. Um, I wanted to talk about the three uh, album arc of the Red Light Juliet and how it's interesting how. You know, some of your earlier stuff is funnier. You definitely have funny songs, but those three albums kind of take a more serious twist. And I want to also focus on the song Red Light Juliet and the, the, the alien encounter and where that all came from and like what it was like making those records. Because at that point in both of our careers, we did sit kids and then you and I kind of both were doing our own thing for a minute. So I, I, I never really got to talk to you about it. But what's the background on that um, trilogy of, of records? Well, I'm so happy to talk about those records. You know, a lot of times like um, friends and nervous breakdowns and sick kids get like brought up as the main records when really the most successful records we had, well, maybe not more than friends and nervous breakdowns, but like they were, they did really well for us. Those three records. We did it all ourselves. We learned so much from doing sick kids with you. We just learned a lot. Um, we learned a lot about like, hey, we can't do this on our own because this shit is a lot of work. There's so much bullshit that comes up. Um, and we had like a really, you know, we did kept it small and kept it mom and pop. We didn't have these like kind of grand uh, dreams about like what it could achieve. And then it ended up surpassing like everything that we thought it could. So it was a really great experience. But uh, artistically, I think I just grew up, Andrew. I think I was like, man, you know, do I really want to make more songs about, you know, like, punching pregnant girls or like you know doing like those are the musings of like a young man um the world around me had changed my views kind of had changed i was growing up and when i sat down to write that's kind of what came out i ended up talking about you know ghosts and aliens and shit and that was the, what was interesting to me and kind of i don't know man with a sober mind like dredging through a lot of these things that happened to me as a kid and there's like this really kind of weird story with my family uh, in regards to sleep paralysis. And for those of you that don't know what sleep paralysis, and a lot of people do, like, but when I grew up pre-internet or the internet and it's like, you know, most early infant stages, I thought I was the only one that had sleep paralysis. I thought I was haunted by a demon. And, you know, it scared the shit out of me. I mean, every night terrified to go into my room and we're not, I'm not a little, little kid, man. I'm, we're talking 15, 16 years old. I'm in a band that it's getting, we're signing to universal records and I, you know, I'm out drinking with my buddies at 16 and I would come home and sleep on my mom's floor because I was too afraid to sleep in my room because at night when I would get trapped in this sleep paralysis, which is just uh, the rational explanation is a piece of your brain is asleep. A piece of your brain is awake. So you can see, but you can't move your brain kind of uh, it mutes your body's movement. So you don't act out every movement in a dream um, and you're stuck and you can't move. Uh, there's all kinds. There's a really neat movie uh, about it. I think called the nightmare. It's a documentary about sleep paralysis. Uh, and a lot of us 
have the same story. It's a wild experience. But as a kid, I mean, it really scared the shit out of me. So I think I'm the only person in the world that's having this. And I'm the answer is a demon is haunting me. Like I'm the product of Satan or the, or hell. And a demon has found its way into my existence, into my universe. And it would whisper my name, but its face was an inch from mine. And it would just look at me and I can't move. And I would cry and I'd scream and no, you can't scream. All that you could do is go. Ah, ah, ah. And, there's, and it's, it was horrifying. So eventually, you know, I'm telling my parents that this happens to me and my mom always gets weird about it like there's just you know she's a weird energy she's giving off and she keeps just telling me to pray to jesus now i'm not was not raised in a religious family mm. i've been to church twice in my life dude like i we were not raised religious but my mom you know clearly on some level believed in jesus and then she finally told me that it happens to her too mm. but she didn't want to tell me that and to this day I don't know why she didn't. I mean, I would think that would help me like, Hey, you're not alone in this. Cause this was like, you know, a long time of going through this. And then she finally told me that it happens to her. And then my brother finally told me that, that it happens to him too. But he said, mom made me promise to never tell you. Wow. Weird. Again, I wish that, they, yeah, why wouldn't you tell me that like that? But my mom thinking that it would scare me more. That it happened. So that was her. That's where she was coming from. But anyway, so I'm writing this record, and these are the things that's coming up. And then, you know, my grandmother, like, my grandmother's like, just, she's not into anything, like, any, any kind of, like, new age or hippie culture. You know, she's old school, man. She lived through the, the Depression. You get a job, you work hard, you buy a house, you have a family, and if you don't, you're fucking up. Everyone has to suffer like she did. Love my grandmother, but you know, that's, that's her world. Not a, not the kind of lady that'd say something like this. She goes, Oh yeah. When I was a teenager, I used to get pulled out of my bed all the time. Wait. And it was like, what? Holy shit. Wait, what? Oh yeah. Something would grab me by the foot and yank me out of my bed. I'd land on the floor and I'm we're like, Jesus, is my family haunted? Like she's just not the kind of, and if you know my brother too, he's not the kind of person that would make these things up. Now, again, no knowledge of sleep paralysis or what it is until eventually my brother does a paper on it. Um, my brother's still in college. So we were young, you know, and he researches and finds all this stuff about it. And it was deeply interesting. And, then, you know, there's a lot of schools of thought that it's like the first step towards what is it? Astral projection. And I've definitely mm -hmm. had times where I float around the room. I mean, you know, a, a rational, logical Josh is willing to, at, at the very least acknowledge that, you know, perhaps it's all just like a brain trick. It's a brain malfunction and it creates some real, you feel like you're floating around the room. The other side of, and I'm not writing that off. That could be, you know, but like, I'm, man, it sure feels like something major. It feels like something beyond the limits of like my own understanding or a human's own understanding. It feels it's powerful, man. It's, it's still fucking happening? powerful. Oh, all the time. Wow. All the time. Um, it's different now. It's different than when I was a kid. When I was a child and I'd be locked in, I couldn't move anything, nothing. Uh, maybe around like my late 20s, I started noticing that I can move my toes pretty good and my fingers, but still be locked. I can't move my arms. There's a weight on my chest, which is why I think a lot of people in, in the lore and a lot of pictures from yesteryear there's a picture of this little demon that sits on your chest and i think that's just a natural byproduct of the weight there's a weight on your chest when you sleep i guess that's what it feels like to sleep we're you know in a way we're lucky we get this kind of like interesting and unique experience where we get to feel what it's like to sleep whereas most people don't know because well they're asleep um but it's it's just it's morphed and it's changed i used to pull out of it you know, I used to, I was like the dream master from Nightmare on Elm Street 4. You know, I was like, uh, somehow I learned that if I relaxed every muscle and your adrenaline, Lars, is flowing. So imagine your heart pounding, adrenaline just flowing, but you can't move. And it's just the oddest. And a lot of times, dude, it's funny. Like uh, when adrenaline starts flowing, it's like fight or flight. And I start talking shit to the demon. Mm -hmm. But like, 
it's ridiculous. It's like, you have no idea what I'm capable of, you motherfucker. You came in the wrong kid's bedroom tonight. I'm going to destroy you. That's me talking to the demon. If anyone's in the room, would they hear you talking? No, no. It's like an internal monologue. You can't wow. talk. Oh, wow. You can't yeah. use your vocal cords. All that comes out is this, like, but inside that's help me yeah yeah, please. yeah, yeah, yeah. um and you can imagine this happening to a child though dude like i and no one really there to kind of guide me through it it was it was i changed my life I and mean, it has a lot to do with like a, a lot of things today i think it's so grand it's so powerful that that first time you don't forget i was in my room going to sleep and then you know i i had fallen asleep and somehow you know, I was trapped in it. Now, to some people, this happens when they wake up. It's never happened to me like in the morning when I wake up. It's always as I fall asleep. Mm. Nowadays, as it's morphed, I can feel it coming on minutes before it happens. And I can get up and kind of go around. You have to fully get up and reapproach sleep. You can't just like, oh, I'm awake. Let me go back to bed. No, it will happen. You have to get up, have a bowl of cereal, watch some TV, reapproach sleep. And oftentimes it'll still happen. But um, the first time it happened to me, going to sleep, Boom, I'm stuck. An instant rage of adrenaline and fear. I can't move. Oh my God, am I paralyzed? What what happened? And then I hear my name being whispered from my <laughs> closet area. And it's not a voice I've ever heard. This voice doesn't come from my imagination. It felt like, you know, it was a voice unlike I couldn't mimic it. It right. wasn't low, like, but it was. I don't know, man. It was not, it didn't feel human to me. And I felt it get closer as it whispered my name till it was an inch from my face. And, and just looking at me and I'm, I can feel tears coming out of my eyes and I, but I can't shake. I can't move. And I mean, stuck in a way that I don't get stuck now. Like I could move my feet. How old were you? God, I must have been, I was old enough to like, I mean, 14, 15 in that world because. Okay. I wasn't a young, young, young kid. I wasn't like eight, but maybe, you know, maybe 13. It was maybe middle school era, but like you're getting, you're becoming, you know, you're growing up. You're not a young, I wasn't five. Um, and then as this thing whispered in my ear, I heard the, my name, <laughs> this is fucked up, a hundred people whispering my name, a hundred things whispering my name from off in the distance. Well, this thing whispered my name and I could feel its breath on my ear. I could feel the heat from its mouth on my ear, just whispering my name over and over again. And, and after that, I didn't sleep in my room for, I don't a long time. So you sleep in your parents' room? I'd sleep in my parents' room at eight, you know, dude, I'm like 14, 13, whatever. Like I'm growing up. Uh, this went on for years. So when I talk about being 16, I would still, not all the time, but I'd have an episode and I'd sleep in my mom's room. But yeah, the first one was the whispers. And I talk about that on the Red Light Julia records. I talk about the whispers. Then it was years of kind of collecting information about my family. They they didn't offer it up right away. So, and you know, months go by and it doesn't happen again. And then the, it's like, oh, maybe it was just a dream. That's what I remember. Even I had convinced myself, like, maybe that was a dream. But it wasn't a dream. Or perhaps it was a dream and reality like clashing. Okay, so two things I want to talk about. Um, you you had described to me before, I remember on Warp Tour, you told me how like withdraw withdrawing from heroin felt a lot like there was a demon on your chest, like while you were sweating and trying to deal with the pain of heroin withdrawal. And I'm just wondering, man, like this might if this is an insensitive question, please tell me, but Oh, you're fine. You're good. When you would, when you were high in a way, was that ever like, would you still have sleep paralysis or would you sleep enough that it wouldn't wake you up? Like, was that an impetus for your use ever? No, dude, drugs in general would bring on sleep paralysis a lot of times, Oof. but not just heroin yeah. over the counter sleep aids. One of the worst sleep paralysis that I ever had was from taking Tylenol PM, um, which is kind of why I don't take it. Like I just, you know, it's like, it's something about that. Uh, and I also, this has nothing to do with sleep paralysis. I used to have a condition. You ever heard of people with restless leg syndrome? Yeah. So a lot of people think that's like when their legs just need to move. For me, it was my legs need to move because it's painful if they don't. It hasn't happened in years, knock on wood. But Tylenol PM, uh, 
drugs would bring that on as well to where I'm laying down and all I want to do is go to sleep. But it's almost as if my bones are stretching in my leg and I have to move my legs because if I don't, this sensation takes over and it goes from the bottom of my ankles all the way up to like the fat of my inner thighs. And there's no, that's what I think restless leg syndrome is. Cause I was talking to my man upgrade about it and he's like, yeah, dude, I have restless leg syndrome. And I was like, dude, you have that too. But then what he described to me is just like, nervous energy making his legs kind of move that's Mm. not what i experienced but yeah that's been years that hasn't happened but like drugs would kind of it would be like a pathway into that and in terms of sleep paralysis yeah drugs did not help it there were a lot of times that it would bring it on wow and you think that right there would be enough dude by the time i was doing drugs though i'd had it a thousand times you know it wasn't nearly as frightening it always it's frightening like my wife knows like it's a understood in our relationship if she feels my finger rubbing on her to shake me awake wow. it's just a known thing it happens and it oftentimes if it happens once in a night it's gonna happen five times oh boy uh, until you get up and sometimes it's hard dude it's like all you want to do is go back to sleep so you got that 10 second window you say oh, i'll go back to sleep up stuck again god damn it there has been other times in my adult life that i'll have my ipad on my chest and like some show is 30 rock is on and I'll just focus on that. And I don't listen or I don't pay attention to anything going on around me. And I just go to sleep and I wake up in the morning. Like for years, I wondered what would happen if I saw it through, where would I end up cosmically? If I go into the void, well, the answer is you end up waking up in the morning and everything's fine. So that leads me to believe it's just a brain malfunction. I mean, that is what they say it is. It's like a, portion of your brain is awake because you can see but you can't really like blink you can't open your eyes like all the way like normal even your eyes are muted and all your move movement is muted but in my adult life i can move a little bit which is kind of frightening man i don't know if it's a precursor to like my brain really malfunctioning which has its own deep and terrifying roots as my you know my mom just died from alzheimer's her brain betrayed her mm-hmm. you know and it's like god is that that happened to her. It happened to my brother. Um, but meanwhile, my mom's mom is 88 and she's pretty damn sharp for 88, you know, and she's lived a long life. So I'm always terrified that it's like a precursor to my brain that I'm going to have some kind of, you know, I mean, Lord knows I don't want Alzheimer's. No, but I don't want anyone to ever get it. It's so awful. Uh, but I do have those fears. And as I've gotten older, it's, it's strange. I can kind of move a little bit inside of sleep paralysis. I can't stand up. I can't just like pick up my arm and move it normal, but I can move my fingers. Like maybe in the beginning, 20 years ago, it was just my fingertips, but now I can like move my hand. Now I can move my feet. And oftentimes as it's landing, oh no, here it comes, sleep paralysis. I'll start waving my leg and kicking my leg. And then I'm in sleep paralysis, yet I can still kick my leg. Just my leg though, just one leg. My, say it's my right leg. And then I'm kicking my wife. Like I'm screaming inside, please wake me up please wake me up. But all that's coming out is, and sometimes she'll sleep through me literally like uh, pulverizing her with my knee. Cause I can't, it's not like I can't move it a hundred percent free, you know, but it's like this muted movement. But I'm just like hitting her with my knee as hard as I can, trying to wake her up. And she just goes, ah, and turns over and goes back to sleep. And I'm like, ah, help me motherfucker. Cause she's asleep. She doesn't know. She is a heavy sleeper, dude. She is the heaviest sleeper so oftentimes like if i'm touching her my finger i'll have to do it for like three minutes before she finally wakes up and shakes me but yeah um yeah it happens a lot man it's not but man dude it happens to a lot of people that was my saving grace and i'll never forget the first time i met someone other than my mother and brother that had it and i was at like a party i'll never forget it was at a kid named james esposito's house and a girl goes, sleep paralysis? That happens to me. And I kind of was like, well, bullshit. What happens? And then she explained it to the T. And I was like, oh, my God, that happens to you, too? And then I realized it happens to a lot of people. I'm sure there are people listening to this that it happens to. I mean, they made a damn movie about it. The Nightmare is a really interesting uh, look at what happens during and these experiences that are eerily common. They all have, like, the shadows. Um that's another thing that's happened maybe four or five times in my life. I've had a shadow stand over me wow. and this is weird, man. And it, it pets my head kind of like it, it, and it pours light into my mouth and it 
it tastes like I don't know. I would I, like pennies. If like if you were to suck on pennies or nickels or something like metal, it tastes like metally. And uh, you know, it terrified me the first time it happened. Um, I started telling people about that, and then a buddy of mine, or Mike Burbaum from Applehead Studios, was like, "You have dreams where a shadow pours light into your mouth." And I was like, "Yeah, dude, it sucks." He's like, "No, that's that's deep. That's awesome." He said, and I was like. Wait, is it? And now I'm like, hey, when's that shadow coming back, man? It's been a few years. I need a I need a light refill. Um, but yeah, that's happened a handful of times. It might be four, like either four or five times. And it's a reoccurring thing. And I gotta I'm not crazy, you know, but like I have to acknowledge like the very logical, hey, your brain can make up anything. I mean, if the limits are your imagination, well, then that then there's no limits really, you know? Um, but man, it doesn't feel like a dream when it happens. And going back to the Red Light Juliet thing, I think writing those records, and those records, go, there's songs still about my ex-girlfriend, there's songs about, you know, whatever, all kinds of stuff, clearly still stuff about drug stuff. You know, a lot of, like, people were like, man, you got to write something other than drug shit. But it's like, that was my life. And that's what I was going through. And in a way, like, getting clean, it was like, well, I can't just write about drugs anymore. And that's kind of just what came out you know you ever sit down with nothing no preconceived notion and just like the stream of consciousness like it just it kind of flows in and it goes through your mind and through your heart and comes out that pen onto the paper and that's what it was about there was definitely a lot of that i did not sit down to write red light juliet and say i'm going to write about my experiences with either sleep paralysis or this or that or the other thing it just kind of happened after the first one that's when it was like oh this is a path I'd like to explore. And then on red light, Juliet two, there's a song called a whole haunting where I talk about my mom's experience with sleep paralysis, my brother's experience, my grandmother's experience and how it all kind of pertains to mine. And I talk specifically about the light being poured into my throat. Cause that I think it had happened recently when I wrote red light, Juliet two, and it was really like fresh to me. I think that was the last time I, if it happened one more time, it's still years ago. It's been a long time since that happened. And I've had many, many sleep paralysis episodes. I mean, hundreds, if not thousands since then. But no shadow with the light. That has not happened ever since I moved into my new house. It hasn't happened. What's cool about the the first Red Light Juliet, the song, is for those you haven't heard, and I think we should end this um, this episode playing it, is that you, you liken it to an alien abduction and it's really really interesting hearing you talk about it how that like poetically became that story and it reminds me of the famous um book communion which takes place like upstate new york kind of near you fucking accord new york dude yeah like i'm not convinced it isn't alien uh induced wow Uh, why not dude why i mean dude i'm not convinced of anything yeah because you know if we can contact, you know, extraterrestrial beings and like the way we think about them, right? Oh, a spaceship comes down and they come out when it's much be way deeper than that. And you can contact them in this other universe known as your mind and the power of our minds. And like, who knows, man, maybe that is part of abduction. And then I think a lot of people that were abducted by aliens had sleep paralysis and that's kind of what their minds conjured. Mm. That could totally be. And then they're delivered mm. back to their beds. Like nothing happened. And, I think I spent a lot, a lot of time uh, as a kid thinking, hoping that that's what it was, because that was much more palatable than a demon that had its sights on me. I mean, it was frightening, dude. It was so frightening as a kid. And my, you know, my friends, you're a 16 year old boy. You're not bringing that up to your homeboys. You're not like, hey, uh, guys, like, <laughs> you guys ever so scared you sleep on your mom's floor? Like, you know, you know, it's like I wasn't comfortable enough um, with my group of friends to really like bring that up to them, which I don't even know why now I should have. Um, we're talking about like Kwame, like good P, you know, um, I probably actually did tell Kwam, but like, I don't know. You're just, it's, I'm, that's not the same 16 year old kid. Isn't the same as like a 40 year old man. Now, you know, it's like, I'm comfortable talking about it and it's interesting to me, but man, it was so frightening. I think that I was probably hoping it was aliens. God, I sure hope it's aliens. That'd be a lot better than demons. What a strange sentence to say, but, those were like the inner thought. That's a lot of what was going on as a kid. Now, in in the song, what from back when I was just a young kid, 
I remember digging a piece of metal out of my skin. There's like, there's always some artistic license that you take with songs, right? But that is also true. I remember having like this blue birthmarky type thing on my arm. And like, I, I picked it off in school one day and it was like, it probably was a rock, honestly, from playing baseball or something that got lodged under my skin. But it did like freak me out. And I remember I didn't show it to my mom. That's the artistic license. But I remember telling my mom about it. And then I had my own ideas of like, God, could it have been? And then it's like I'm writing this story and there's, you know, it's like that the real story is not quite as interesting. So like I take it in these places. I'm like, oh, what if I showed my mom? And I almost picture it like a movie, like a movie scene where I'm showing uh, my mom this like piece of weird metal that I pulled out of my skin and it like frightens her. But I'm using a lot of like my real experience, like telling my, when I'm, when my mom broke the news to me that she had sleep paralysis, it was not like a nice friendly chat. I mean, I, and as vague as these memories are, like I remember I was crying and I was saying like, something is in my room. You don't understand. Something's in my room. And she said, I know because it happens to me. God damn it. That's <laughs> why, is that what you want to hear? I know because it happens to me. Wow. And it was like this moment. Yeah. It's like straight out of a movie at this moment. And, uh, yeah, I'll never get the answer, you know, it's like, as to, I wish she was here, man. Cause I'd ask her and I, I think I know the answer. I think she thought it would, that would scare me more when it's like, Oh my God, if I just knew I wasn't alone, that would have like helped me so much. But then maybe she thought that I'd be too afraid to sleep even in the house, maybe in her mind. And I'm just thinking this right now. I never really thought about that before. Maybe in her mind it was, well, he thinks this is confined to his room. If I tell him it happens to me then he won't sleep on my floor. Then he won't sleep in this house. So maybe that was her thinking. But I mean, in hindsight, uh, God, I would have really liked to have known that I wasn't alone. And then my brother telling me his story was so human that it was like weird. Mine was so not human. Even the breath and a voice, it just felt not human to me. But that could be my own fears. Whereas my brother's story, the first time it happened to him, something sat on his chest, which it seems like everyone has that story. Um, and it said, if you scream, I'll cut your throat, which is such a human thing to say. I say that in a whole haunting in the song, a whole haunting, which out of all of like the, the weird science stuff, like that's a song that I go back to a lot and am, am genuinely proud of. I mean, the whole red light Ju Juliet series, I'm really proud of that stuff. I think like I'll stand by that. There are some stuff. Some songs that I've done that when I hear them, it's pretty cringy for me. But I just try to remember, hey, that was a young man talking about young man things that I thought were funny back then. But the Red Light Juliet stuff is – I'm deeply proud of it. Sick Kids, too, as dark as it is. And, like, there's definitely some fucked up stuff. I felt, like, behold to maybe this idea that you had to have a couple really funny songs. But, like, you know, I'm really, I am proud of those records. But – I don't know. Red Light Juliet was, was something, and it's specifically a whole haunting, the song off Red Light Juliet too, where I say about Joey, I'll cut your throat if you try to scream. That sounds so human. That was my takeaway from that. Even back then, God, that's so, like, that sounds like a criminal, like a, you know, like the soul of a criminal would say that. Like, it just right. was so human. It was different than my experience. And then my brothers had sleep paralysis many, many times after. Um, in fact, real quick, we were on tour once. Uh, Coheed and Three, my brother's band Three, and I had a bout of sleep paralysis on the bus. The reason I remember this is because it's only happened once or twice. Uh, and this is the only time that I actually bona fide remember it because the fear had taken a back seat because I'm around all my friends. All my friends, it's like that kid still in me that had to sleep on my mom's floor. Like, I need someone around me because I'm so scared of the unknown of sleep. Well, here you are. You're on a bus. You're in a moving submarine with 11 of your friends sleeping around you. So I felt more at ease and I floated and I floated out of my bunk. And I remember as silly as this is trying to wake Claudio up and I'm trying to like whisper to him or wake him up. And I'm so close to him. So we pull up, but I wake up or I, I get up and I go back to sleep. Um, and I show up to the venue and my brother is there and he's like, dude, I had the craziest sleep paralysis last night. I was like, holy shit, dude. So did I. And he tells me the story of in the hotel room. Now, my brother is blind as a bat. Dude, without his glasses, he can't see shit. He wears contacts all the time. He's super duper blind. 
and he was having sleep paralysis and he was reading the back to try to calm himself down. He's reading the back of like the sticker on the hotel door. You are here in case of fire. You know, we've all seen a million of them, like the highest mm-hmm. cost we can charge you is this. And he's reading it, just trying to calm himself down. But he's also going, and so, you know, they're sharing a hotel room. So somebody hears him and shakes him awake. And then he looks at that sign and he's like, there's no way on God's green earth that I could read that sign mm. without being close to it. So, wow. And he's like, I was right there. I was right next to it. And we both had these out-of-body experiences on the same night, yet miles apart. They might have, I don't know exactly where they but we weren't in the same vicinity. You know, I'm on a bus headed somewhere. He's at a hotel. We weren't around each other. We both, it's so, isn't that odd? Yeah, it's just it's odd. And it could be a coinky thing, but just one of those cool, odd things, I guess. I remember, and I wonder if this ties in, and um, maybe it's the last question I have for you, like outside the music. You told me once you were in New Orleans and you met like a fortune teller who told you through your life, you're going to have like difficult struggles. And did that, is that, tell me more about that story. And like, because I remember you telling me that really tripped you up, especially like back in 2011 when you told me that story. And did it tie in with this at all? Am I remembering I mean, not, right? Not that I can think of like off the top of my head, dude. Like I used to really like to go to fortune tellers. Yeah. Um, there was one, I think it was in like, not Cape Cod, but like New Englandy. And she looked at all the Coheed guys and she looked at Claudio's hands and she goes, you're going to have three big decisions in your life. And I made the joke. I looked at her, I went, yeah, one, two, three. And I pointed to me, Travis and Mike, because this was like at a time when like, Everybody was saying that we were just a hired band and Claudio was actually the only guy signed and that we were all just hired guns, which I always took as a compliment. I was like, you think we're good enough that we're hired guns? That's pretty cool, I guess. Um, So it was like a thing I would do. Uh, I do remember the one in New Orleans, but yeah, I don't know, man. Like, you know, I listen, I'm like open minded and and sometimes I have to work to be But as I get older. I can feel myself like closing off to things. And I do think a lot of that like fortune teller stuff is like bullshit. You know, I think that's why I was always interested in it. Cause I wanted to see like how much bullshit they would spew. But at the same time, I'm like a believer. It's I'm this weird, like juxtaposition, right? I don't have, I'm, I don't, I'm not landed on one spot. Like I do believe, and I, I believe in things that are beyond our understanding. Or perhaps I just want to because mystery is beautiful. You know, it's like Mm. as adults, we all have answers for all these things. And like sometimes you just walk outside and you stare up and you go, holy shit, we don't know nothing. Like that's a great feeling to me. Like the unknown can be frightening, surely. But like I like feeling like there's more. Um, But then on the flip side, it's like, oh, God, a lot of these things are total bullshit. My father is dating a psychic a professional psychic right now so talk about fortune telling wow. every time i'm around my dad i get my fortune told <laughs> um but no lars i'm not making really any connection to i remember going to a fortune teller you tell me what i told because i remember going to one in uh new orleans i think more than once i think a few times i went because they were they happened to just be around there'd be like a little shop and it would say like you know fortune teller get your readings and I, I i think i can remember two times going but i've gone to them all over the country you know like uh i haven't done it as much like lately or even in like the last 10 years but there was a time i was like way into it and i would go in and sometimes they'd say shit that would like re- you'd kind of knock your socks off you know um i i remember you telling me you're like some fortune teller said something like you're gonna have struggles throughout your life and you th- said you internalized that as feeling like, oh my God, I wish they hadn't told me that because now I'm always going to feel cursed. And I was like, oh, dude. Oh my God. Yeah. She, she looks at my hand and tells me I have two lifelines and that, uh, I'm go Yeah. Like my life is going to, uh, I basically am living two different lives. And dude, I do feel like that. I do feel like I'm two different people sometimes. Like, and that maybe I kind of dance between two different planes of existence. Now, these things, when you say them out loud, sound like they're a crazy person, right? But like, I inside, sometimes I wonder, like, God, what if that lady was right? Yeah, I, dude, now I told I wish I never went to her. She told me I was going to have a hard life. And she was like, sad. 
It wasn't like people go in there to hear good news. Right, right. Right? Like people fucking come that oh my god, dude. I don't know if that was in New Orleans though, Lars. Maybe I made that up. Maybe I thought so. No, because I've gone twice in New Orleans, but I feel like that one might have even been in like California. Okay. But yes, she told me I was going to have a hard life. And then she told me I have two lifelines and she points to these two. Everybody's hands has two fucking lines, but that mine, they, they, they divide at one point. Right. And I'm looking at my hand right now. Like, I don't even know which fucking hand it was. Or There's millions of lines on my hand. I don't know which one. She's, but she said, there's going to be like, a, you know, like a great decision for you. And it's going to be either one though. It's going to be a hard life. And she wasn't like happy telling me this. And it's like, I don't know, man. Okay. Logical me. It's like, did I come in with like a cheeky attitude and she's smart enough to know, like, I bet he'll never forget this. I'll fuck this asshole. Is that, but then what if she was just like delivering the real news and it happened to not be happy news. And then a lot of times I do think about like, I feel fairly certain that I've landed on, you know, the right plane of existence and like that, you know, my life. 15 years ago does feel like a different person and not just the drugs, not just that stuff. Like I'm a really kind person. Like I like to do, I'm like a thoughtful man. I like to do nice things for people. And I gotta be honest with me. Like, I'm not sure that existed in me. I don't know. 20 years ago, I think my wife would say, yeah, it's called growing up dummy, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Cause that could just be it. Like you grow up and, um, you change, but like, God, I think about decisions that I made or like hurtful things that I've done in the past. And it's like, it feels so foreign to me mm. and like, like it re and I, I always have this dumb story where it, it means it's so like benign, but one day I was doing the dishes and I was like, just thinking about why I was doing the dishes. And it was so Tammy could have a clean house to come home to. And I was just thinking about how outside of the me that I always knew that that was something as simple as doing the dishes nowadays. I mean, I take great pride in like having dinner on the table and the house all clean for Tammy. And I'm not making the case like, Oh, what a great guy. And, but the good things about me and I am, I'm kind and I'm, I'm a soft guy. I'm a thoughtful, I think of other people's feelings. I only say that because I'm not sure that I did before. And I do feel like a different person, man. I feel like a different guy. So maybe that's the two lives, the two lives. Yeah, I do. I think about that fortune yeah. teller with the two lives. And um, I always, I probably followed up that story with this story. In high school, my girlfriend got her fortune told by a fellow high school student, mind you, who tells her right in front of me, oh, your boyfriend doesn't deserve you. And that she broke up with me over that, over a girl in high school who said she was a fortune teller. It broke my heart. This, I dated what? this girl for like five years. She broke up with me and referenced that as like one of the reasons like, what the fuck, you crazy motherfucker. We, of course, got back together. We dated for years. I thought I was going to marry that girl, you know, as everyone does in high school. But um, yeah, I've got a long history with the fortune tellers, Lars. It's so funny. I kind of want to go back and start doing it again. But like my father dating one, I feel like every time I'm around my dad and I love Mary, her name's Marion. She's, she was like one of my mom's best friends. So it's a bit strange, but I just want my father to be happy. I think he found, and she found some comfort in, you know, dealing with my mom uh, with each other. And that's fine with me. Um, I have no, it's, it's just a little strange. It's a little strange to say my dad's girlfriend because it's just weird. But, um, Every time I'm around my dad, I feel like I get my fortune told a little bit. And uh, she even told me, you know, Coheed was doing this cruise. Uh, it was a big, like, step for this band. Like, we didn't know if anybody would come. And it ended up being the fastest sellout that the company has ever had, which, you know, I only bring that up because Coheed's not flipping Aerosmith or Green Day. You know, it's like we're not that big of a band. So we were we were terrified to do this thing. Uh Mind you, this is the same company that does Kisses Cruise, uh, John Mayer, Paramore. Uh, the list is endless. They do like all these enormous cruises. So here we are, scared that nobody's going to buy it, and the thing sells out in a day and a half. And like the company, people from the company write, well, I guess that went pretty good. That was our fastest sellout to date. We've never sold out a cruise faster. And we're like, oh, my God. And we're just like, we're going to make this the most amazing experience for fans, all this, you know, and then it gets 
postponed, right? Corona hits. It's like, oh my God, cruise ships. Are, are cruises even going to be a thing? It gets pushed back. And Marion, my dad's girlfriend, it, we're at dinner here. She tells me, she goes, oh, well, I, I knew it wasn't going to happen. And I was like, what? She goes, oh yeah, well here, the thing is when the stars are aligned like this, and this is Mercury's in retrograde here. So I, I actually told your father it wasn't going to happen. Which is true. She did. She told my dad when he wow. told her the date. She goes, oh, honey, I'm sorry. That's not going to happen. Now, I said, well, nice to let me know, motherfucker. Jesus Christ. So she goes, I'm you know, being silly about it. I'm like, geez, you could have told me. And I told her, I said, she goes, well, maybe have me get the, have the cruise. Or I say, hey, Marion, we'll have you take a look at the dates for the postponement. Make sure that we're good with the stars. Clearly kidding. And before she leaves, she goes, so have the, the cruise company give me a call and I'll take a look. Like she's dead serious. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't I'm not sure that's going to fly. But, um, yeah, it's kind of funny now. All this fortune teller stuff and like I'm around a psychic all the time. Mind you, she is a professional psychic. She uses this is how she's made a living her whole life. And she's an awesome lady. I don't want it to come off like I'm disparaging her. To, she's amazing. And I love Marion deeply. And she's an awesome, awesome person. And. Um, probably in touch with some things that like might be foreign to us. I, I, I believe that's true, but the cruise thing is kind of a funny story. Although she called it, man, she fucking said, she said it's not going to happen. And then it didn't, which is kind of mind blowing. From back when I was just a young kid, I remember digging a piece of metal out from underneath my skin. I remember fiddling, flipping it over, the fear in my mother's eyes when I showed her. I remember waking up, not able to move. I know that this had happened to my mother too. She told me just to pray to Jesus. Don't talk about it, let it alone, just leave it. See, she knew that nobody believed it. Still recall headaches and my nose bleeding. And the logic defied all reason. To know the truth of what lies beneath it Was there a pattern or some kind of sequence? It happened often but this time went on more frequent If there was answers I would actively seek it Now sweep it under the rug like our little secret There was no fire in the sky Just a paralyzed wide-eyed child We were confused and we lived in fear Cause in the mid-80s something visited Belvedere There was no fire in the sky Just a paralyzed wide-eyed child Confused and we lived in fear Cause in the mid-80s something visited Belvedere I remember whispers I remember cold on my back and incision and insert I remember being conscious Stuck to my bed Both terrified and astonished I remember praying that this was a dream Close my eyes and just try to go to sleep I remember adrenaline My heart was beating out of my chest But I couldn't move anything it was all so real, but surreal, like watching it all unfold on an old reel to reel. Like it was a memory. Like somehow I was watching it happen to another me. Like time was manipulated. Like the future and the past were both syncopated. Like a ripple in the timeline would find its future self. And when it did, it was reciprocated. There was no fire in the sky. Just a paralyzed, wide-eyed child. We were confused and we lived in fear, cause in the Remember no air. I feel hands on me coming from nowhere. I remember shadows, blackness, a different kind of dark. The movement of my mattress. I remember shaking. Two eyes looked on, both so vacant. A metallic taste of my nap, it's safe to assume I'm crazy. Cause they didn't take me. Maybe they're watching, cataloging my every move. Maybe they're not, maybe they're watching you. You wouldn't understand unless you lived it. Honestly, I look forward to the next visit. Uh. There was no fire in the sky, just a paralyzed, wide-eyed child. We were confused and we lived in fear, cause in the mid-80s something visited Belvedere. There was no fire in the sky, just a paralyzed, wide-eyed child. We were confused and we lived in fear, cause in the mid-80s something visited Belvedere.
Red Light Juliet, a fantastic song by my man Weird Science. I hope you're all doing okay. Uh, we got a new Hatchet Chat dropping this week. We got a lot of exciting things dropping this week. A new comic every Tuesday. You know, check the social media. Josh, thanks for your wonderful interview. I hope y'all are doing well, and I'll see you next week with part three with Weird Science. Holler!